It's already been a great morning already. How many of y'all are fired up to be here in church this morning? I, I am. And uh, uh, very thank you guys so much for leading us in worship right to the throne. And uh, as we continue in our series, Who Does God Bless? I want to invite you um, to turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 to 23. And we're also going to be... Uh, in several different places, that, and you can follow along on the screen. But um, today is a really kind of different topic. It, this whole series has been a series of very different topics. And the, this is a very strange name, uh, the one who stays home. Who, who does God bless is, is the series title. And the, this one is the one who stays home. And I, I see some folks out there saying, well, shouldn't have come to church this morning. God would, God would bless if we stayed home. No, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about something else completely differently. Now, before, uh, in the words of Groucho Marx, <laughs> how many of y'all actually know who Groucho Marx is? Okay, like a third of you. All the kids are like, who? Yeah, but anyway, um, there's something I want to say before I say it. Um, we are very, very, very pro-marriage, very pro-child bearing here, as uh, you probably figured out if you've been around here any length of time. However, I want to take a moment. I want to acknowledge all of the single people that are here. Uh, Jesus was single. Uh, the Apostle Paul was single. There's one reference to the Apostle Peter being married in Matthew 8, 14, when uh, it refers to his mother-in-law. But other than that, there's no evidence in any of the scriptures that any of the disciples were married. So early Christianity was built through the Holy Spirit working through single people. So those of you who are single, you're in very good biblical company. Um, there is a great place for you in the church. Don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. You don't need to be married to have a place here, um, nor do you have to be married to, for God's purposes to be fulfilled in you. I need to make this known before we go on because I think a lot of times single people feel either intentionally or unintentionally kind of pushed to the side. Kind of like churches say, well, come back when you're married with kids uh, and and I, don't, I don't want you guys to feel like outsiders, not so. Maybe you will go on to get married, single people. Maybe you won't. That's between you and God. As for now, this is your church, and I'm very glad you're here. Um, and so, uh, but as we open the Bible, the second chapter of Genesis, uh, we see God creating Adam, and, and we hear something very amazing from God himself, something that I, I've read many times but never really hit me. He says this in Genesis chapter 2, 18. It is not good for the man to be alone. In Genesis 2, 2, 18, read this with me. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And when he was sleeping, took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And I say this, this is a strange and amazing thing because God Himself says something I didn't expect Him to say. He realized, He said, basically, in God's own words, I want to tread carefully here, 
But God himself says, I'm not enough. Adam had God face-to-face, present, talking, and yet he says it's not good for the man to be alone. This isn't Adam saying, God, I'm alone. No, this is God saying it's not good for him to be alone. Um, uh, This is God's words himself. It's truly amazing that God does something special here. And don't miss this. If you go through the creation story in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God creates very simply and begins creating more and more refined and more complex as he goes on. Each step of creation is more grand, more, uh, uh, more amazing. He creates heavens and the earth. Then he separates, uh, creates light and separates it from darkness. Very general, very basic. Then he gathers the waters to one place. Then the, then the first life appears, but it's vegetation. It's the plant kingdom. He says that vegetation rises. Very simple life forms. Then life begins in the oceans. The first animal life is in the ocean, it says in, in Genesis 1. Vegeta- but, uh, life begins getting more complexity than simple vegetation. Then land animals appear, said, increasing in complexity. Then God creates Adam. Then he creates Eve. The woman is God's crowning achievement in creation. It's the last, she's the last thing he creates before he rests. It's his prize, it's crowning creation. And at every time God creates, he creates something more complex and more refined. And don't only look at the order of creation, but look at what God does. Look at the means. God formed the animals out of the dust. He even forms Adam out of the dust. Only Eve does he do something differently with. The woman he formed out of the man. Why? Well, I don't know. But I'll take a shot at it. I think, I think Adam's words after, after this kind of gives a clue why God did this. Check this out. Uh, he looks at her, and what does he say? He says, now, this is now my old lady, my ball and chain, the little wifey. Is that what he says? No, 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 no. <laughs> he says this. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's saying, this wife belongs to me and I belong to her. We are one flesh. We are together. This is my body. This is hers. We are one. My relationship with her is going to be different than any other relationship I will have on this earth. Why? Because she is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. How I treat her is how I treat myself. How, how, and she returns, she says, how I treat him is how I treat myself. There is a sacredness that goes on here in this creation story. Don't miss this. There's a lot going on here. Not also the location of the part that Adam used. He didn't use Adam's head that he would rule over her. Didn't use Adam's foot that she would rule over him. He used the rib so they would walk beside each other. It's not good for the man to be alone, God said. In the first two chapters of the Bible, we see two relationships. Before the fall, before Genesis chapter 3, when everything, when we screwed everything up by disobeying God, in the, in the first two chapters where things were as God wanted them to be, we saw two relationships with God and with spouse. I found that when those two fundamental relationships you guys are on, when, when those things are good, life works out. 
It really does. I found that when those two fundamental relationships are on, life makes sense. When, when, when my relationship with God is good, my relationship with my wife is good, also I can handle things at work. Uh, uh, I can handle uh, the stress of that. I can handle bad news. Things just don't rattle me. Uh, things don't tend to bother me as much. But when one or both of those is off, if, if, I ha- if I've neglected my wife, if I haven't spent time in Scripture, and, or if there's sin blocking my walk with God, it's just, like nothing works. I'm irritable um, on a good day. Even on a good day, my best efforts aren't that great. And so when we focus on those two primary relationships, we were designed for, we are blessed. That's, that's why Proverbs 18.22 says this, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Now obviously this was a patriarchal society and it's written to the guys, but we can also flip that around, that he who find, she who finds a husband finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. It was difficult coming up with a title for this sermon, it really was. Um, I wrestled with it and I couldn't really make anything work, so I called it the one who stays home. And this is why, but not because God blesses people who sit on the couch and binge watch, you know, Disney Plus. That's not what I'm talking about. God blesses, hear this, God blesses the one whose eyes stay home, whose heart stays home. I found love does not have a wandering eye. It doesn't. Love doesn't have a wandering eye. God blesses the one who focuses on those two relationships that we were designed for with God and with spouse, the one who stays home. Um, I, I went through Proverbs. Proverbs is one of my favorite books, if you, if, if you didn't know that. And Proverbs 5, an entire chapter, I love this. This, this is one that every young man, every young woman, every old man, every old woman should highlight because this is some of the greatest stuff, this entire chapter. What it is is this old person probably King Solomon, talking to his sons. And you can almost hear the pain in his voice as he talks about this, as he gives this advice to his sons. Um, I wonder if while he's giving this advice, he's looking at mistakes he's made and he's experienced these things. Those of us who have been burned by fire, the quickest to warn others away from it, true? Well, look what he says here. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Okay, so he's saying, listen, I'm imploring you to listen. Well, what does he want us to listen to? Well, he goes on. He says this, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. And we also understand that that's talking about guys too. The lips of the adulterer the man or the woman that entices you. They, the, the words sound so good. They entice you. Maybe they give you attention that you are not getting at home. Maybe that person at work uh, actually makes eye contact with you, asks you about your day. These things, they, they sound so good. Speech is smoother than oil. But he says this, but in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Wow. She gives no thought to the way of life or paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. I wonder if that was said through scars. I wonder if Solomon here, if that's who's writing this, is speaking from experience. It sure sounds like it. 
And then he says this, now my, then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Stay away, is what he's saying. Stay away. God blesses the one that stays home, whose heart is home, whose eyes are home. And he says this. I love this because I think he's experienced this firsthand. No one could write this unless he's been through it himself. He said this, if you go, he says, stay home, don't get near the door of the house, lest you lose your honor to those and your dignity to those, uh, honor to others and your dignity to those who, who is cruel. So he says, listen, if you indulge, if you go, if you don't stay home, you're going to lose your honor and your dignity to those who are cruel. Listen, lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. I wonder if he went through the big D. Strangers feasting on your How many of you all have had strangers feast on your wealth because of some stupid decision you made? Absolutely. And toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say how I hated discipline, how I heart spurned correction. Would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. I wonder if this is somebody who had standing in the church and he committed adultery, did not stay home. And he's lost his position of respect, lost his standing among people. And I think he's saying, my sons, is this worth it? He says this. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. In other words, son, stay home. Should your springs overflow in the street, in streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Talking about your love, your eyes, your affection, your attention. Let it stay home, never to be shared with strangers. And he says this, may your fountain be blessed and your, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. I want to stop right there. He says this, when you stay home, when your eyes stay home, when your heart stays home, when your attention is not given to others and, 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 and your wandering eyes everywhere, he says, your fountain will be blessed. Your home will be blessed. And he says this, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. When your eyes and your heart stay home, you actually find this person, either this husband or this wife, that you can rejoice in. Rejoice in. And then he goes on, loving doe, graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. When I read this as a young man, I was surprised. I was shocked, and this is why. I had no idea that God's purpose for me as a married man was to be intoxicated by my wife. That is what God once. Not, it's not something that kind of randomly happens. This is God's plan for you as a married couple, not to just coexist, but to be intoxicated by your spouse, to be in love, to be romantic with your spouse. This is God's plan for you as a married person. This just kind of hit me like a thunderbolt. I, I had no idea that God cared that much about my home. No idea. But that's what he says. He says, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife, with another wife's husband? 
Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman or a wayward man? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, he says. He examines all your paths. You know that you can't get away with anything, right? Everything you do you think is done in secret, it's not. He says this, your ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all your paths. The evil deeds of wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own great folly. I wish every person, every married couple, every single person wanting to be married would highlight this entire chapter and read this because this is what God wants for you. But what does staying home really mean? And how does God bless it? Well, staying home breaks one of the most toxic things that we see in our culture today. And I know a lot of us are struggling with it right now, not because we're evil, but because life happens. It's called the invisible spouse. The invisible spouse. I found an online article called The Invisible Wife. It was written by a woman, said this. I remember watching Wonder Woman as a girl, as an invisible jet was her ultra-cool way of escaping danger and coming to the rescue. Although being invisible is an asset, when you're a superhero, it's not very empowering as a wife. Men, please listen up. Maybe you know how it feels to be invisible. Maybe you put on a pretty dress, but your husband doesn't comment on it. Maybe after work, your husband's more interested in the nightly news than you, uh, or he plays video games while you wait for him in bed. Uh, maybe you're coexisting at home, no longer catching eyes or capturing each other's attention. You're doing your best to get his attention, but it's just not working. A few years ago, she writes, when we had a baby, a toddler, and a kindergartner, it was my husband who felt invisible while I was preoccupied with the kids. Before dinner one evening, I told everyone to dress up crazy. The theme was everything in its wrong place. I figured that would buy me some time to cook, some time to myself. My son came to dinner with underwear on his head. My daughter was wearing socks on her hands. And to my surprise, my husband, James, dressed up too. He, had, he came to the table wearing shorts and diapers. He stuck a diaper over his shorts, and more diapers were strewn across his chest, diagonal like Rambo with his ammunition. I thought to myself, she writes, is this what a grown man has to do to get some attention around here? The invisible spouse. How many times do we feel invisible in our own homes? I think every single person at some point has. And I think we're both, all of us, both perpetrators and victims of the invisible spouse. Well, the good news is this is not God's plan for marriage. He is not his plan for spouses. We're not supposed to be invisible in our homes, in our marriages. Rather, in God's masterpiece on marriage and sex, the book of the Bible called the Song of Solomon, he, we see a far different example that we are supposed to follow. All right, check this out. In Song of Solomon chapter 4, I want you guys to turn there. Song of Solomon chapter 4, we see the man speaking to his wife, all right? He, he does not have a cell phone in his hand. He isn't watching football or basketball. He isn't thinking about work or the tough days had. He is fully present. She has his full attention, all right? He is looking at her. She has his full attention, and look what he says to her. This is Song Solomon chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. He says this, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills 
of Gilead. Now, that's probably not the best compliment to pay your wife, okay, guys, uh, at least in, in our culture. Um, back, you just have to remember, this was an agrarian culture, and back then, you know, they valued their livestock quite a bit, and I would imagine their palace looked out on the hills of Gilead, and there were some goats grazing down there, and as they were coming, as they were coming down, it was a beautiful thing. I mean, we live in Kentucky. How many of you all have uh, dr- driven on maybe Versailles Road or US 60, the horse farms, and see a galloping herd of horses? Uh, you know, isn't that pretty? That's, that's probably, so let, let, let's put a Kentucky spin on this. Uh, your hair is like a thundering herd of ho- racehorses <laughs> at, at Churchill Downs with a mint julep in hand. Or, 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 or actually, in true Kentucky speak, it would be like your hair is a game-winning three-pointer of shot from half court against Duke. Okay, that, that's, uh, you know, uh, your hair is like Christian Leitner getting beat up. You know, you know something, something like that, okay? I, I could go on, but you guys get the point. This is something of beauty for him. He starts the top of her head, and he begins working down. He says this, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, coming up from the washing. Each has its twin, not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil like the halves of a pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields. He's commenting on her necklace. He sees her necklace. Your, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. Until the day breaks, until the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh, to the hill of incense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Think about this. He started at the top of her head and worked his way down. He noticed. He saw her. He noticed everything about her. And he saw her. And what he saw, he loved. He didn't point out flaws. He didn't point out wrinkles or age spots or a few extra pounds. He saw and he loved what he saw. How many of us married folks would love this? To be seen, to really be seen by the one we love and who loves us. To have the undivided attention of your spouse. No competition. His mind is not at work. Her mind is not with the kids. Uh, They're not worrying about the bills or the mortgage. They're not worrying about what other couples are doing. The, The stresses are not there. They have each other's full attention. And they see each other. To be cherished, to be loved, to be prioritized. How many of us would love that? And how many of us have let that go just because of the busyness of life. He isn't comparing her to other women. He isn't rushing through it. Have you noticed? He took his time. He's not rushing through it. He takes his time and works his way down. Imagine how blessed the home is where spouses do this for each other. Ephesians 5.33 says this. says that, however, each one of you talking to the men, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The Bible 2,000 years ago found out what psychologists and family therapists have found recently, that men's biggest need is for respect and women's biggest need is for love. Love and respect. There was a book written on it, conferences on it, Love and Respect. 
And when we, when we as husbands, love our wives, and when wives respect your husbands, things are great. But that's not what, where a lot of us are. A lot of us are on what's called a crazy cycle. Here's the crazy cycle right here. It, it's, it doesn't matter who starts it. But the crazy cycles, what happens in our homes when, when we don't stay home, when we don't focus on these important relationships. Without love, she reacts without respect. He reacts without love. She reacts without respect. And the cycle continues. It's called the crazy cycle because it's crazy. It's exhausting. It wears you out. And when we don't stay home, when our hearts don't stay home, when our eyes don't stay home, when we do not extend love and respect, then that is what we're on. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of homes look like today. They're on the crazy cycle. And you walk out of, of there in the morning exhausted. Well, God has a different plan for you. It's called the energizing cycle. Okay, and it's the opposite, this one right here. His love motivates her respect, motivates his love, motivates her respect, motivates his love. Like I said, it doesn't matter who starts it. It's just an energizing cycle. It's the cycle that I wish for every one of you. And if you make a commitment to that your heart, your eyes will stay home and you will invest in the two important relationships that God designed us for from the beginning, then that's what your home will be like. Love. Motivates her respect, her respect motivates his love, his love motivates her respect, motivates, and it's this energizing cycle. And that right there is so valuable, it's worth fighting for. Main thing that God designed us for two relationships with God and with spouse. I want to issue a challenge for you married folks today. I want you today to see your spouse. I don't mean look at her or him. I mean, do what Solomon did in the Song of Solomon. Look at her. And let her look at you. See each other. All distractions aside, all cell phones aside, TVs aside, worries, stresses aside, and see each other. Do that for 30 days, and I would ask you at the end of 30 days, has God blessed you? God blesses the eyes and the heart to stay home and invest in what is there. I want to give you guys some quiet times of reflection. I don't know, maybe you're sitting next to your spouse. Just look at them. Don't have to say anything. Just look at them. And see if you see what Solomon saw when he in, in chapter four. Sim's gonna.